Hey, this is Jose Galison of No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel. You can also find me just about everywhere podcasts are at. Today, my guest is Patrick McFarlane. What we're doing today is, let me give you a little, explain to you what's going on. I um, Back in the height of the coup, before I started podcasts or anything, I wrote an article on a pretty long one uh, about you know the monopoly on violence, kind of a review slash breakdown th- type thing. And uh, I was really excited with how it came out back then. Um, and just me and Patrick were kind of talking about it at some point. We thought it'd be cool to break it down and do like a break into a few parts and do a few different episodes. I'm going to host one. He's going to host one. We'll figure out something for the last one. Hopefully I can do something special for y'all. Um, and yeah, we're just going over it. I was just really, I remember when I watched it, I, I fucking loved it. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm just going to be reading the article. We're going to be kind of talking in between and such um yeah uh, as always i like money so fucking hit me up at patreon.com there's no way jose 2020 uh that was a rough fucking cutaway to that uh you can give me crypto and the fed app uh no way jose 2020 as well all right i'm gonna bring on patrick we'll fucking get to this what's up dude hey how's it going man good good all right you ready to do this <laughs> hell yeah let's, let's do it do it uh all right i'm gonna go ahead and start reading it it'll be a little quick it'll be a Decent little intro. All right. I want you to remember, Clark, in all the years to come, in your most private moments, I want you to remember my hand at your throat. I want you to remember the one who beat you. Faded screen where we see the signature Frank Miller Batman logo overlaid with the Superman logo. If you're a comic book fan as I am, you almost assuredly understand the significance of this moment at the 2013 San Diego Comic Con. I still remember the chills I felt hearing Harry Lennox read this line from the climax of The Dark Knight Returns, one of the most famous graphic novels of all time, and in my opinion, the penultimate Batman story. This is DC's way of letting us know we'd be receiving a Batman vs. Superman movie in the not-so-distant future. This was fresh off the heels of Man of Steel and at the beginning of their cinematic universe. It was a bold move coming out of the gate so strong, and a comic book nerd's dream to finally see a comic book-accurate version of Batman that was able to go toe-to-toe with gods like soups. Cue almost three years of advertising and teasing the film. Everything looks visually stunning and true to the comic. The bat armor used to fo- fight the blue Boy Scout is ripped straight from the pages. The movie is released. I'm deployed in the Middle East, and I've been there for about three months. I miss my wife uh, and my two-year-old daughter, uh, who barely remember my face anymore at the time, and my five-year-old little girl. At this, at this point in time, the movie is the only thing going for me, and it's something to brighten my spirits. It's a dilapidated building that plays movies that we call theater at the base. I used my one day off to go see the, the comic book movie event of a lifetime. At least that's what I thought. The movie was shit. Some may argue against this, but they're just plain wrong. The movie's a beautiful train wreck, and that was it. Nice to look at, and but no substance. Why do I tell the story? It's to illustrate a point. Almost nothing ever lives up to the hype. Yes, this movie's bad, but there had, had there not been as much hype surrounding it, then one could easily say this is a decent movie. The hype brought it down. When you expect a masterpiece and you get average, it makes it seem terrible due to your expectations. Quality is sometimes determined by previous assumptions. Now to the topic at hand, Monopoly and Violence. When I heard first heard Peter Kinonis mention this project, I was excited. The topic of anarchy is one seldom discussed, and when it is, it's almost always with malicious intent towards the concept. Parmi was generally worried for Pete as well. He's an awesome podcaster, but I knew nothing of his filmmaking skills or team he had surrounded himself with. Additionally, while this is bewildering to the layman, anarchy is an immensely broad subject to cover. The idea in the was awesome and the hype was real, but could he and the team stick the landing? Holy shit, they definitely did. Right from the start, this documentary pulls no punches and just showers the audience with red pills. Normies, be, beware. If you use this as a tool to educate your friends or family on liberty, then be prepared for discussion. This is essentially immersion therapy in regards to liberty education. It may be fruitful or may piss off your liberal aunt or conservative uncle, but it will definitely make them think. 
For those initiating the true beauty of freedom, this is pure bliss and sure to teach you something new. I've been in this scene for a while, and even I learned some new things and was introduced to some new interesting personalities. All right, Patrick, I know that was lengthy, but you have any takeaways from that bit? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm remembering when all this kind of happened when the or when the <clears throat> documentary was first announced. And I think the exciting concept about it is is that when when Pete teased it, he teased that it, they were in discussions with Netflix to get the documentary on Netflix. And you know, unfortunately, I, that never came together. However, the accomplishment of it is still there. I mean, it's on Amazon, so it, it's available to tons and tons of people. Uh, I guess you know whether it, you have an Amazon Prime account or not, you can still buy it on Amazon. So it, it's definitely uh, it's out there for lots and lots of people to watch. You know, you could also say that um, Alex Jones's documentaries are on Amazon too. But I, it, it's it's great. You know, it starts out with a bunch of red pills, and it just it keeps going from there. Yeah, yeah I didn't remember the Netflix thing, I, but it's still on YouTube, right? I believe. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, with that, I mean, if you're watching this, remember it's still on their YouTube, so you can still share it around. It's still, uh, it's still a great resource. Which I don't know if that's a. Uh, well, I guess we'll go back a little bit. What, what do you think? Did it like? Did you get that vibe? Because I remember it was kind of that long period of time where it was kind of building up, and I was excited about it. Did you get that feeling of like that, like anticipation of like, oh shit, we got this hype for this thing. Like, I just know that's like common thing with like movies and such. When you have like this big hype, and you're like kind of worried, like oh, I don't know. Like, the more hype there is around something, the more you're kind of like, fuck, this probably isn't going to be what I think it's going to be, you know? So I don't yeah. know if you got that vibe as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was a great it was great branding and great marketing, I think, because they came out with something that's, I mean, they know their audience because they're autistic libertarians like us, you know? And they, they knew the right places to tease it, and they knew they could like tap into that hope that we have, you know, that, that hope that we'd be able to get something. I mean, and again, it's I, the Netflix thing didn't come together, but it was, it was in a way it was a little too good to be true. You you're wondering, you know, cause Netflix is such a big controlled platform, but what it was in execution was what they had promised. I mean, it was, we got a whole shitload of the best libertarians um, and we put them in a we put them in a documentary, and we you know we we laid out red pills and um, it's too bad that the Netflix thing didn't come together because I don't know how much I would pay to sit a bunch of normies down in a chair and have them listen to Tom Woods and Jeff Dice, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, you kind of kind of then you kind of brought up a good point. Like, what the last thing is getting the end? Like, what are, what are your thoughts on this? And like, as a tool for teaching liberty because it is kind of like a harsh red pill. It's a I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's a, like I said, it was immersion therapy, I think is what I used is, uh, so it is kind of, I don't know how great it is or I don't know. I guess it's like with anything, you got to be use a little tact, but I, I, there is something to that where it is like that. It's not bashful about what it is. <laughs> right. And I, I think one of the most useful things that it might be, sorry, the, my parents' cats are banging on the freaking door here. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, <laughs> One of the, one of the most useful things, uh, I think the demographic it would hit the most is I was thinking kids in a co like college kids in the dorm room smoking weed, coming across documentaries to watch on 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 Amazon. You know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it would take a certain type of person that that is kind of open to the possibility. Like, I don't know about you. When, when I was in college experimenting with things, I was drawn to things that would be kind of like a mind fuck. And so, I mean, that's to be to be frank, it's part of the reason why I became a libertarian in the first place. Yeah, it's like you're looking for like new edgy things. You're trying to be like an edge lord, or I don't know. I mean, I, I got a little bit later when I was like my early twenties, but yeah, I mean, I, was, I, I get what you what you mean. I, I get the vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I things like you know when when you get high and stuff, and you watch like nature documentaries, the mundane things you take for granted is like, whoa, it's so cool, you know, and. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not its not that nature documentaries aren't cool. It's just that it gives you a real different perspective and a real appreciation of what it is. Yeah. And so to, to reinvent the entire way that you see the world around you, I mean, that's a pretty, it's a pretty cool experience. Yeah, no, I can imagine, though, just like being a stone college kid watching this. Yeah, because you do the like stone thing and it like just hits you hard. But like, yeah, this one would probably really fuck with me. And then you add to it the uh, fucking the fact that this kind of came out like during the COVID. I don't remember exactly when it came out, but it I don't like uh, in relation to the COVID. I don't know if it was like the beginning of it or like right before. I think it was around that time it dropped. But uh, yeah, it definitely it was kind of like that. I, I don't know if you have you, have you ever watched V for Vendetta? Yeah, yeah. Did you did you try did you watch it again during the fucking during like height of the COVID? I I might have watched the beginning during the hype. That is fucking yeah. freaky. I remember watching it at that time, and I was like, oh. Wait, <laughs> I had already seen it before and read the book. <laughs> well, isn't there isn't there a part in it where, um, like, before the movie starts, there's a plague? Well, that's the whole backdrop drop of the movie, in a sense. I mean, the right. plague is an essential part of it, but the idea in the movie is that, like, this is the fallout, because essentially they the, the government orchestrated this fucking fake plague, and then, uh, right. and then the uh, they took power in the meantime. And the funny thing is, too, is this is set in England, and then over in fucking America, what's going on? They don't really focus on it much. It's kind of like you kind of got to pay attention to see them say it. But they, it's like apparently America has gone to like anarchy, and not the kind of anarchy we like. Like it's just like gone to shit. Yeah. Like just like I don't know. I guess kind of almost a borderline boob type thing. Like if if you will, like just nuts. Like what people think of when they think of like the normies think of when they think of anarchy, like that's what's going on. And then, but in the UK, just use that, that as a window to stamp down on authoritarian wise. And then now they're like basically in lockdowns all the time. That's the creepiest part of that movie is for one, that, and the fact that it's basically just like, everything's a lockdown. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, I don't know. It just kind of made me think of it. It's kind of the same thing that I can't imagine if I had been a stone college kid at the height of the COVID watching this, be like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> eyes opening all at once like uh yeah that movie with sandra bullock with the one guy that's like holding the lady's eyes open you know what i'm talking about the one where uh god i wish i remember the name of it it's like they had the, oh they right old, yeah the the bird box right yeah, the bird box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so um, well the the other thing i wanted to mention before we really dive into it um the substance of it was what is the name you know monopoly on violence it's a wonderful name uh but i think it's I, I had Keith and I had Pete Quinones on our podcast, I think a year or two ago to talk about like our, our red pill books. And uh, of course we all picked anatomy of the state and that's because <laughs> it was my red pill. Uh, but it was, I think it was also um, Mance or Pete's Pete's red pill. And 
Anatomy of State was mine too. Was it too? Okay, so it's like. <laughs> well, that's I mean, my minarchist to anarchist, if if that's what you're saying, red pill. So yeah, it, yeah. It, it it really depends on what you're calling red pill. Yeah, that's what put me over the line. But yeah. Well, in. <laughs> The main thing being is that most, and this is the red pill of of the film, Monopoly on Violence. The main thing being is that normies do not consider, they do not see the state for what it is. They they don't realize that the state is a monopoly on violence. And most people, they don't want to believe that. For some reason, there's there's this block in their mind stopping them from realizing that point. But you try and convince people of it like it's some kind of harebrained conspiracy. But no, I mean, this is the mainstream theory of what the modern state is. Thomas Hobbes in Leviathan was one of the first to say this. And um, Barack Obama said it in an interview with Military Times in like 2009. So, I mean, it's it's Hobbes. I, I can't think of, you know, there's a few more people that had said it. Um, but it, it's a mainstream, well-accepted. I mean, legal publications talk about this. Yeah, no, they did a really good job with the title. That, that was like a perfect, punchy, like exactly what it should be. It was, it was a perfect little like punchy title. I, I do want to mention real quick, just because I was really proud of my titling when I made the article. I titled the, the article The Monopoly on Anarchist Documentaries. Because <laughs> 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 it's the only one, really. I mean, not the only one. I'm sure there are other ones out there, but it's, it's it might as well be. For all intents and purposes, it's pretty much the only anarchist documentary that I really know of. I don't know if you, you know, know I, I will say um, there was one from the 90s that was produced by the Mises Institute. Um, so it, it was about like a history of the Federal Reserve or something. Um, you can find it. I think Joe Salerno was on it. But I mean, it, it, it's you're right. It is the only documentary made by like Austro libertarians that I know of. Um, you could say that James Corbett came out with some documentaries kind of like in that same vein, but it. James, I don't believe that he, you know, he didn't go around and interview specifically people for the film to put it together, especially not like sit down interview with Tom Woods and Jeff Deist and Dave Smith and, you know, so. Yeah. No, um, was that one you were talking about, the Mises Institute? Was it a uh, fucking, um, was it like on anarchy? Because like this one is, like, or because you said it was about the Federal yeah. Reserve, or was it just like, okay, I didn't know if it was like spit specifically on like the economic side of things or even just like right it's been it's been a long ass time since i watched it but i swear to god it's like of the vhs tape vintage <laughs> so okay I'll have I know to, they, that's the big thing with this is they cover everything like it's i mean they do i mean probably get into it in the later episode but they there was a little bit of like maybe like left handed because they didn't get covered as much that's more the fault of that they didn't that some of the left anarchist types wouldn't go with them but <laughs> you know they had right. a hard time getting them on camera <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah to, for for the sake of intellectual honesty i mean they wanted to get people on they yeah, wanted to that. present those sides of it yeah yeah and this is no 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 issue i didn't think they fucked up anyway i mean i don't know it wasn't behind the scenes but it seems like they genuinely intended to do a fair job i I really think I feel like if they'd had more of that, that that would have been it would have been awesome to get more of that because it is very interesting in the like, you know, the the left anarchist or whatever you want to call them. You know, there's a lot of especially like history wise, which they go into it, and but there there was definitely more that could have been covered. But uh, yeah, um, let's go ahead and move forward with the article. Um, okay, this one after the intro, the film starts out with what I perceived as a white pill from the historian James Scott. He puts into perspective how short the state has been around. 
in relation to Homo sapiens and thus reminds us that coercive entities are not essential to human society. Uh, we've talked about that in a previous episode. That was in our 2021. I, that was the guy I was talking about that he had the book, The Against the Grain, where he, that's like where he was like went into how the first states were formed. I don't know if you've ever got a chance to look into that more. Or... I, you know, in talking about it now, I remember watching the, Mono- the Monopoly on Violence and then trying to make a mental note like, ah, I need to read that because, um, well, in reading Rothbard, I, I just remember him talking about the first states being formed that uh, one tribe would conquer another tribe, but then they found out that it would, you know, they could just enslave people and, um, that's how the first states were formed. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like James Scott went into his book a lot about how like, and like I said, he went over it briefly in this about how like, like basically the state hasn't really been around that long in relation to human history. And then also how their first ones were formed in relation to like the, the advent of agriculture. And like once that came, then it started leeching off the, uh, the people that were doing agriculture and they got focused in those areas. So they ended up with people on the outskirts and the, uh, the the hilltops or whatever the fuck, the places that weren't as fertile for agriculture that were then living on the outskirts were essentially the anarchists of the time, if you will. And they, uh, yeah, which we've talked about that before. Uh, And I have a, I have a sort of kind of theory with all that and how that ties into things going forward. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you have anything else on that. Um, No, except for the fact that I found that documentary from the Mises Institute. Oh, did you? (laughs) Yeah, it has a very young Ron Paul, Lou Rockwell, and Joseph Salerno on it. So I I dropped that in the chat for you. It's called Money, Banking, and the Federal Reserve. Oh, okay. That's what I was getting at. It's a little more economic. So it's it's probably like it's the bottom right political uh, compass or whatever the fuck. That's probably what. Whereas this right. is like the whole bottom. I mean, it's still a little bit more lean to the right. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is like, like, they tried not to, but it is what it is. I couldn't get more of them. Uh, all right, this next one's going to be more up your alley. Next, we move to the topic of law. Enter Stephen Kinsella, Judge Andrew Napolitano, and Jeff Dice. Good God. Right from the beginning, they clearly signal they aren't playing around with the quality of their guests. <laughs> yeah. Well, there. <laughs> the, the other red pill, I mean, is... Not only is the state a monopoly on violence, but most people, they don't connect. They don't know what law is either. They don't know what the state is and they don't know what law is. And law essentially is institutionalized violence. It's the enforcement of law is basically institutionalized violence. And I I mean, you could say that justified violence isn't violence, it's force. Some people have said that, but Essentially, what it is, is in order to enforce your rights, you have to wield the power of force. Mm-hmm. That's why it's called enforce, enforcement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, now we move to education with Thaddeus Russell. His part was excellent. Russell was absolutely on fire for every interview clip throughout the film. He touches on the origin of education and how it was intended to create perfect citizens for the state and how schools are essentially prison for your children. So that one hit hard for me, which admittedly my kids are still in public school, which I hate, but it is what it is. You know, <laughs> we work with what we got. I still yeah. try to red pill them as much as I can. When they put on their stupid mask, they take, say, take that shit off, you fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't know about you, but I, I think that in their heart, a lot of kids know that it's prison. You know, there's one, one of the saddest jokes ever is how like kids and parents joke about how much school sucks 
Like, I, I don't know if parents somehow hate or say that, but it's like, it's always a joke that, oh, kids hate school so much. They just can't wait for the summer. Like, that's actually pretty fucking sad, man. I mean, like, have you ever stopped to think about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see it a lot with my kids. I, it's weird because I actually had the opposite, at least when I remember high school, because I actually did. I was the kid who genuinely, like, just did, had a really easy time. I was just like the, which kind of fucked me over later in life because I had no work ethic intellectually, which I've developed as an older individual. But I was someone who was just like, like, intellectual pursuits came natural to me. I really was a kid who could sleep in class and then take the test and ace it. And, like, I never really had to work hard. Like, if something was too hard assignment-wise, I just wouldn't do it because I was going to make up for it with quizzes and tests. And then I also did a lot of sports. So, you know, like, the the like the high, like the principal and teachers always, like, kind of looked at me, you know, like a scholar-athlete type thing. So no one ever really fucked with me. So I, I, I kind of was – I kind of had an easy time. But I can understand logically and also seeing with my kids because my kids aren't the same as me. They're very smart, but they're, like, they're also in elementary school. And uh, so, like, they're younger. And I, I kind of vaguely remember elementary school and, like, being not liking it as much. So, because I actually like, had a little bit of, like, a learning disability. I had ADD, and I didn't learn to cope with it until later, which is weird. I feel like my actual, the way I think ADD-wise end up being a benefit later. You know, it's kind of like just thought differently than others. But as a young person, it took a while to adapt to that, and I had a lot of issues there. And it kind of made my life a living hell at the time. But yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here. But yeah, I can understand logically why the state is fucking, like, why the, ed the education is fucking bullshit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, I had kind of a similar experience. I mean, I was kind of the same as you growing up. For me, it was, I think I was just bored and I thought it was a waste of my time. And so I would get in trouble, you know, because I, I didn't, especially senior year, I just didn't give a shit at all. And I, I mean, I had good grades and everything, but so it, part of the, part of the thing too, and, and I'm sure what they talk about, well, I know what they talk about in the monopoly on violence is the role in, in brainwashing, you know, state education is it's kind of come full circle now. Um, it wasn't always this way, but the, the way that the state controls the populace that, you know, convincing it that convincing the populace either that the state is legitimate because of because god ordained it or because um we are the government you know it kind of went from oh god and all these mystical powers imbued the the leader of of the state with the power to rule over everyone else well that stopped kind of working a little bit so they had to switch it to the state is us with yeah. do, um democracy but the role in in brainwashing the masses is so important, whether it's through, um, you know, religious institutions or whether it's now it's the religion, the religious institutions of public schooling. Yeah, I was listening to uh, today. It's kind of made me think of I was listening to the uh, episode of on Dave Smith's uh, podcast, part of the problem. He had a uh, Liberty Lockdown on. They were kind of talking about how like essentially what pussies young men are these days. And I think that's a direct result. I mean, for one of the lockdowns and the education and how they've kind of just been, you know, called into being just know, bitches. Like, he was kind of going into, like, how, like, I know, like, I think he said the, the virginity rate's gone to the roof. And I saw some stat about that recently for, like, young young males, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some argument that, like, okay, you probably shouldn't do you get married or a certain age or whatever. But I do think there is something, there are things you can infer from that. Like, if, if young men aren't running around getting pussy... Like, I doubt it's because they're all, all of a sudden decided to develop a religion and be like, you know, we're going to 
<clears throat> no, it's because they're all fat asses like sitting on the couch. Just, like <laughs> they just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much you can tie that into to, to fucking education. I mean, I guess you can to some extent, but I don't know. I just was something got my mind thinking of just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, I just can't imagine. Like, it's like we were getting to how our school was or like, I was just doing drugs, uh, fucking bitches and, you know, ace and, and going, playing sports and stuff like in high school. That's, that was my time. But now it's, that's not the case, which in some senses, it's probably good. But at the same time, it's kind of like, that's what being a young man in some, in some regards kind of is. You know? Well, to tie, yeah. And to tie it into the way that it, the, the feminization of men, it, I think it's because, I mean, have you ever heard any like developmental or child psychologist or even Jordan Peterson talk about how there, there's a reason why young girls are good at public schooling? Like uh, they're well-behaved in class. They are orderly. They do those things. But there's another reason why young boys have such a hard time is because boys are different. <laughs> Imagine that. Boys are different. And... Um, you're forcing them to do a non-masculine activity by having them sit down. I mean, boys are hands-on. Boys are, they need to compete with each other. They need to be physical. Uh, they need to do those things. But when you are forcing them and conditioning them into these classes where they're with girls and being forced to learn the way that girls are, um, you change them. And you get behavioral problems because that's not the way that they operate, you know? Yeah, I think I've also heard too. I was just thinking when you said it. Uh, there's two points I got from that that I was just thinking about. But uh, I also heard something before that men are tend to be intellectually better specialists, whereas women tend to be better jacks of all trades. So I think that would totally play into how we learn. Uh, so like you know, you're bouncing around. Like I know me, I have a very, I mean, I have a very thin, not thin. I mean, kind of. But there's a, a narrow pathway of things that I'm very interested in intellectually. But whereas I think women, like my my wife is very much like a normie and not in like a bad way. And like a, she's the one who fucking knows real world information. She's the one who knows like how the fuck to file taxes and shit like that. Like, <laughs> she's like the real world grounded person. Whereas I'm like the intellectual, like, you know, way more specialized. And also I kind of was thinking about that. I mean, obviously I don't think it's intentional, but there's something too. Uh, I think it's kind of derived out of a conversation I was having the other day, the power of the pussy. Uh, I know someone off of a, she's a Mises chick. Uh, I, there was some comment I left and she was talking about like how she's going to use simping for good, which anyone who doesn't know simping is, that's like where you, you know, you kind of use guys lust to like make shit happen. And I was kind of like, you know, weaponizing the pussy kind of thing. And I, there's something too, like that this is something for women and it's kind of like dragging the men along. And it's like, so there is something to like, I don't think it was intentional, but I think they're kind of using the power of the women to drive the men a certain way, you know? <laughs> well, this is kind of basic biology. I mean, if you remember back to high school biology, it's, it's evolution. It's like men compete for women's attention or, or the women make the men compete for their attention. And then the women are the ones who select the traits that they prefer the most. Um, Another thing about, you know, the way that boys and girls mature, you know, they grow up is that women, girls mature faster than men do. And I see it with my son is that other little girls that are, my son's two years old, but other little girls that are his age, they can talk more than my son can. You know, my, my son can talk, but he's not saying two or three word sentences, you know. But on the other hand, my son is much more um, spatially aware. 
he can he's a, he's really good with his hands where he can like he sorts the the blocks into the shapes and stuff but more than that he can he can wrestle and he can run around and he he's good on his feet you know so he has that you know kinesiology the kinetic awareness uh that that girls don't have so i mean i guess it kind of goes to <laughs> Like, well, what are, what are men for? They're for building shit. They're for protecting shit. Yes. And women are good at nurturing and communicating. Yeah, we're basically for fucking and killing. That's what we're yeah, for. Right? Like, <laughs> the, the basic, I mean, not to be crude. I mean, I guess I don't care. That's kind of my brand. But, like, that's basically what men are in a nutshell, you know? <laughs> you Gen- know? I mean, generally speaking, of course, we're, we're individualists here. A disclaimer, you know, but, yeah. Generally speaking, of course, but yeah, yeah. No, it, it did kind of make me think that it's like they create this perfect environment for women, and then that's kind of a good way to keep the men in line because you know you create a perfect environment for women, you know, let them to find it agreeable, and it's like while it may not be agreeable for us, we're kind of we're young, dumb, and full of cum, and it'll just kind of make us fucking string along, you know, for the ride. So, you know, and and not only that, but do you do you remember what? At what point in history was it that women predominantly became school teachers? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so I mean, you're you're putting men in a very feminized space. Mm. The point I was getting at, like, I feel like if you run a, run an experiment in your head and you flip it the other way around and you create an environment that was perfect for men's education, and you string the women along. I don't feel like that would exist for long. You know, I just don't think. Like, I feel like women would kind of you know, in a way, kind of derail it. And I don't mean that in like a sexist way. I mean, that just a, you know, like women don't have that same drive to, you know, be strung along by men in that way, you know? <laughs> well, I, I maybe, maybe there is something to um, segregating boys and girls, like boys schools and girls schools, as long as you have, you know, like interaction between healthy interaction between the two mm-hmm. um, or having portions of the day where you do that. And, but but I'll tell you where that's not going to happen is with state education because going back to the monopoly monopoly on violence, um, st- it's the monopoly. You get one size fits all solutions. Yeah, I don't. Know, I just really feel like we would need a whole overall. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell. We talked about this in a recent episode of like I think we we're talking about like cultural things. It's like in the presence of a state, it's hard to tell how things would be because we were talking right. about like how culture would be without the state, and it's kind of like we're just guessing. The same thing goes for schooling. Like, I mean, I know during the co- like the height of the COVID when my kids were home, like I felt like they learned a lot. I was with them all the time. You know, we were doing things together. They were naturally learning different things from just being around their parents. Like, I, I do think that, I know people have this idea that like, oh, if they weren't at school, they would just like not learn things. Like, what are you talking about? Like the majority of the things I've learned in my life, I did it because I was interested and I learned it myself. So, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's something there. And then I pass that shit on to my kids. So kids love to learn. Mm. And, and I think the, the, the worst thing about um, the worst thing about public education is that it destroys that part of a kid. It takes their natural inherent curiosity and crushes it. It doesn't do that for all kids, you know, but it does it for a lot of kids. I mean, especially kids like you and me, I'm assuming, but um, get perfect example. Um, all through high school, I hated reading the books they made us read in English class. I hated it. Um, Later in life, I ended up majoring in English literature and (laughs) I, I was, I happened upon the books that we were assigned in high school because I 
pick them up on my own and I love them. Like they're my favorite, some of my favorite books like Fahrenheit 451 or, you know, Ray, that's Ray Bradbury, yep. but I'm, I'm thinking of other Ray Bradbury books too. I mean, it's Ray Bradbury book I've read, but yeah, go on. the giver, the giver is Lois Lowry, but uh, that was a great book or, um, you know, there was a short story of uh, the monkey's paw, which they made us read in high school that I didn't think was very cool, but it's incredible. Yeah. So it, and when someone's telling me to do something, I mean, imagine this, I'm a libertarian. When someone is telling me to do something, I say, fuck you. <laughs> no way. Uh, perfect, yeah. perfect example for me is history. I fucking hated history in school. I mean, I did fine in it, but it, to me, like my impression of history in high school or just school in general was memorizing dates and facts and names. And that was it. Like, it just, it was super dry and boring and it was just like it, I mean, maybe a part of me felt like it was spoon fed propaganda because it just kind of always felt like bullshit to some extent, like they were teaching some moral along the way. But I mean, as I've gone older, like history is kind of one of the fucking coolest things. Like some of the times I, like, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm still not a huge history buff, but I, I'm like, I feel like I missed out on a lot, especially as a libertarian who's really interested in this space. So much of the stuff ties into history stuff. And I still like, I just feel like there's a giant gap in my knowledge because there was something I just never really was into because the fucking the state education ruined it for me in a sense, you know, at least at the time. Yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah. Which is well, I think it, as well. it, it gets dangerous too because um, I think what you have to do to be a compelling history teacher is to be able to tell a story. Mm. Um, and that's dangerous because. Uh, telling a story implies that it's not exactly what happened. You're you're weaving a narrative through it, but that's how people think. I mean, people think in stories. As as a trial lawyer, it's like um, one of the main lessons of it is okay. Well, it's not usually the attorney who tells the most compelling and interesting story is the one who wins the case, who wins the trial. And um, Prof. CJ is so good at this. I don't know if you listen to the Dangerous History podcast at all. I have um, I've seen him on Lucy Goose, but I haven't listened to him, his uh, podcast specifically. I've heard it's good. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's real good. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move along. Actually, I want to touch on real quick, because I don't think we made an emphasis on it, that one of the points I brought up in the article was just like the, the, the fucking, the cast, if you will. I don't know if the cast is the proper term, but the, the, the fucking hitters that come in this is just insane. Like, I have to say hats off to these guys who just, the people they got involved. Like this was quite the endeavor. When I knew they were going to make it, I just kind of thought maybe like a ragtag group group, but no, they made it fucking big deal to get the guys like the guys. Like if you're uh, like in the Liberty space, especially if you haven't seen this yet, like anyone you're thinking of, that's like the guy, it's probably in here, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. <laughs> well, if you're going to do it, then do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, it's just kind of impressive. They got them all, like, and made it happen, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, and I mean all. Like, any anybody you could think of. Like, Daddy Ronnie. Like, Ron Paul. Like, he was in there. Like, there was so many people. I'm like, what? They got him? Like, or, or you know, just, yeah. All right, next one. Taxation. Us anarchists generally aren't fans of this. For this topic, we received Donnie Geber, who reminds us that politicians who beget no negative incentive for squandering your money are very likely to do just that. Dice tells us how taxes are a tool of compliance and how they are actually unnecessary due to the Federal Reserve. Dice is always a treat to listen to. I love him being in this documentary. That's just a little note. I always love fucking Dice. I mean, he can talk about anything. I'm just like fucking, he has a different angle and it's fucking fascinating. I don't know what it is about him. 
you just I don't know. <laughs> well, he's yeah. so articulate. Yeah. Right? But he always has like a slightly unique. I mean, not something that's like way outside, you know, but like just a slightly unique way of looking at things. Like he's he's there's been a lot of little things. They're always like subtle things. So it's never like he's like completely made me do a 180 on anything, but it always like maybe made me do like a 45. I'm like, huh. Like, okay. Like it's a different way to look at it. Like on a lot of things. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's definitely a free thinker. It's like he's not just falling in line, you know? So, but, yeah. Anything stand out for you in this one? This is mostly about taxation. We could probably rail about this for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I don't know. It, it just, the implication being that you, okay, perfect example. Um, in this town that I'm moving to, it's where I went to high school. Um, there's a referendum going on right now and the vote is on like april 6th and the referendum is on putting like a huge new addition on the high school and um enrollments are down <laughs> <laughs> we just spent almost an entire year where kids could not be in the high school um what they want to do is they want to they just installed astroturf on the football field okay our graduating class is 160 students they put AstroTurf on the football field. Um, there's there's a new theater like going in. They're revamping the theater and moving it to a different place. They're they're putting a new library. In. It's all this shit that is not necessary. I mean, yeah, especially capital into a failing business. I'm sure any rational yes. entrepreneur would do that. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I mean, and but but more moreover you 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 drive around and you see these signs and they say like uh we support our kids we support our youth and it's like vote yes and i'm like you're making it seem like this is some kind of a charitable donation thing like it's like no you, the kids if you don't vote the way we want you to <laughs> right right but moreover they're 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 framing it like it's like they're doing something charitable, like they're doing something altruistic. And it's like, no, <laughs> you are forcibly like you're forcing everyone else in this town, whether they have kids or not, to invest in a business venture. <laughs> Any if, if Walmart went around saying, you know, like we're going to force everyone to invest in Walmart because, well, don't you care about getting nutrition to people? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's funny too because it's like, like the first part Donnie brought up is how like if the politicians get no negative incentive for squandering your money, and because of that they're going to continue to do it. Like this is just rational. Like that's like one of the biggest things. Like I feel like a lot of people don't realize. Like one of the biggest things that led me to this obviously was uh, we talked about earlier was fucking anatomy of state, but it's fucking. Um, but incentives, like learning how incentives work, is just kind of like what really made me be like oh, this is going to likely drive things this way. And like, yes, you can be like, well, if we vote this guy in, then he'll probably do that. But if you look at things over a broad, you know, history or whatever, like, sure, if we get this one guy in, he might vote this way. But overall, the incentives are pushing this way. So it's gonna, over the long arc, go that way. You might get distracted by this one guy here and there. But overall, we're going to keep spending more and more money. You might get one guy in there, like a Ron Paul type who tries to either slow it or stop it or push it back the other way momentarily, but later someone else is going to come in and push it that way. So at the end of the day, this is a fucking this is a beast we got to fucking kill. <laughs> yeah, and and what it, you 
you made a great point. It's the incentive problem is let's inject more capital into a failing business. I mean, that's the, the state is the only system where bad results somehow equal more expenditure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it turns everyone into smooth brains because it's like, or, or binary thinkers were like, oh, well, if we don't inject money into the school, then, you know, what are the kids going to do? It's, it's not just zeros and ones. Like, I don't know. A million other things could happen. I don't know. Like, you could fucking homeschool. They could go to this other school, this other area. You know, a myriad of fucking things. But it, it reduces us to our, like, basis, like, fucking thought structure. Like, to where it's like, nope, zero and one. It, is, it, is it left or right? Is it, you know, up or down? <laughs> like, there, there's more to it than that. I mean, people just... Then I don't know because at the end of the day, it's a fucking vote that's yes or no. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I got accused of being a binary thinker on Twitter the other day. I'm still salty about it. Were you though? (laughs) Maybe. I said. I said. Well, with this, this is sorry. This is off topic, but uh, Mm -hmm. with with this whole Tim Pool thing, I said either he's like an unprincipled piece of shit. Or he's like in bed with the CIA. Right, and I, I say that's that. Kind of fair. <laughs> to go there. <laughs> well, I said, look at the evidence here. I mean, it's like, okay, he's done zero fact checking. He he doesn't get into the other side. Either he's he's incompetently ignorant that he can't do a fact check or look at the other counter arguments, or he's aware of them and he's ignoring them because he's a shill. Okay, well, that, that's a better way to put it. When you say it's an unprincipled piece of shit, like, I feel like that's a... Because, yeah, I think it's... I would definitely... I don't know all the situation, but I would probably chalk that up to just be, you know, just... I don't know. Not biased. That's not what we're going to look for. He just kind of fell into a thought process without overly being critical of it. So so that's, that's a little different than an unprincipled piece of shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's in the right vein, but it's not okay. exactly right. <laughs> I said unprincipled piece of garbage, so I was being inflammatory, but not overly so. Intentionally hyperbolic. I get your point. Yeah. Well, he he was like, uh, you know, I'm generally anti-war, but China is going to enslave the world and put us into an authoritarian. I'm not being hyperbolic. This is what he said. That is that is that is, actually, you know, that's kind of fair. Then I mean, I don't know because that is the big failing of the statism is like. You know, I'm, you know, it's the whole, I'm a fan of the Second Amendment, but, or, you know, right. like, it's always the but. Like, no, 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 you, then, then you aren't. Like, which is it? Like, you either are, like, not cool with, like, because, I mean, especially something like war, it's like, you know, what do you mean? In this situation, it's okay? That's how you just slip right back into it. Like, it, it's know? like, it's like fucking for virginity's sake. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Which I mean, people would say that's pragmatic, but at the end of the day, like, I don't know, I'm a fan. I'm someone who thinks the principled and pragmatic are really the same thing. It's just pragmatic is something people say when they just really like, well, you got to be rational here. And it's like, no, I, I generally think like if you really look at it from a smarter way, generally the principled and pragmatic thing are kind of the same thing. Mm, so interesting. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, because I know people say it's pragmatic, and you're like, well, this is what we got to do. Well, we got to go fight China because or whatever. And it's like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's whatever. We're going on the other side there. All right, let's move to the next one. Dice comments on the Fed perfectly transitions us into the next topic of central banking. Here we get Sandy Klein in educating us on a scam that is the Federal Reserve. The shifts to Joseph Salerno 
instructing us why the scam came along in the first place to further the state's favorite, most profitable uh, for the elite few and most despicable enterprise, war. So, hey, so so my aside was a great transition into our next topic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like as far back as you go, it, it really started. The phenomenon started with coin clipping. Um, where the the monarch would he would call a reissue of the nation's currency, and what he would do is melt down all the coins and reduce the precious metal content in them, and then reissue them as a diluted um, coin, and would put a new stamp on it. So that was I learned about that in Rothbard's book, The Mystery of Banking, which was my favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's very much the the war is the health of the state type thing, where it's yeah. you know. That's what drives it going forward. They utilize our fucking animalistic nature and fucking, you know, we got to protect you. And then they use that as a way to enrich certain individuals and that leads to them making bad decisions and they have to fix it that way, you know? (laughs) And I'm trying to think of like, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. Like does war create central banking or does central banking create war? (laughs) Yeah. I think it's the first one is that war creates central banking. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would think probably so because I think there was a there was a period of time. I, I would think it was probably like there. It's hard to look back. There was probably a period of time where they had some sort of fun, functional uh, money system. I say that, but now I'm thinking back to fucking Rothbard's uh, money, and this has been shit. Like they've been fucking with the money for forever. It was like it's what, <laughs> it was like what colonial fucking America was around the first time they started doing fiat. I think. Yeah, so that's when they started being a dick with it. But I, I thought it was uh, clipping, you know. <laughs> so. I thought it was in the 1600s that the Bank of England did. I mean, it's genius. It is a genius yeah. scam. Um, genius in part for its simplicity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it, it's not a hard concept to gra- like wrap your head around. But if you hide the ball from the populace for so long, no one because it's boring. Because we've been conditioned to believe that this is the most boring subject of all time. Uh, Corbett talks about this in his his documentary, A Century of Enslavement, A History of the Federal Reserve. Came out in, in 2013. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's they make it boring. They make it seem boring. But I mean, think about it. It's, it's probably the oldest scam of all time is, is messing with the currency. Yeah, and I mean, it's like a, it has its roots and like something you probably could really, it's pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really in a sense, it's orig, like origins probably in a sense weren't that bad. It was genuinely like a, well, we're going to institute fiat just because it'll be easier. And there is something to that. But the problem is the institutions who manage it are ones that have bad incentives. And as time goes on, I mean, I'm sure it's one of those things where it probably never was intentional. I mean, at some point they realize like, hey, this is what we're fucking doing. But, you know. I, I think it's the same idea as people join the military with the idea of like, we're going to do the right thing. You know, people do that all the time to this day, but right. like, you know, and then they realize later like, Oh shit. <laughs> and they're already balls deep. <laughs> so. I, I suspect that it, it, it was the um, people realized they could do fractional reserves in, in banking. And I think that's when, when they really realized that, Hey, we can get away with this at least until the chickens come home to roost and everyone runs the bank. Um, but yeah, I mean, moreover, you were, you were talking about war and the one thing that I wanted to, um, I wanted to say to Tim pool and like, he professes to be anti-war, but he, everyone forgets that, you know, war is not the, what, what is Rothbard's quote? 
I might have to rely on you for this. The, war is not the state protecting its citizens from other states. War is the citizens of the states protecting the state. Something like that. You remember yeah. that quote? Yeah, I vaguely. I don't know it off offhand, though. I know you're getting that, though. I'm going to pull it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, hold on, guys. <laughs> we can move on. I'll find it. <laughs> well, I'll move on to a whole other topic. I don't really have much to go on there. We were okay. kind of, we were kind of bringing it to a bow there. I don't know if you think you can find it quickly. <laughs> oh well, we have a little dead air. When was that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm getting toasty enough to where I don't care. So, <laughs> I, I think I think everyone knows the quote that I'm talking about. Like, at least yeah. you should. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're watching this, you probably probably do. Uh, all right, let's move on then. Uh, enter guests Jeff Dice, Peter Klein, Daniel McAdams, and Scott Horton. Oh, you thought they blew their water early with Judge Knapp on the topic of law? How wrong you were. Don't feel bad. So was I when I first watched this. Jeff goes straight for the economics and shows the staggering cost of war. Klein reminds us of the sad affair of the continuous loss of freedom under the precedent of wartime necessity. McAdams highlights the 1984 S cycle of never-ending war we put ourselves through by our inane or ingenious, depending on perspective, foreign policy. Scott tugged at my heartstrings once again with his mention of Yemen. That one is personal for me, as that issue is what really opened my eyes to the evil of being in the military. I could no longer claim ignorance to the damage being done by me. No amount of just following orders can justify what travesty and I... Uh, also want you to take a moment to drop a harsh reality to any federal veterans out there. What you did was wrong. You contributed to a system that wrongfully disposed of human beings as if they were cattle at an alarming rate. Once you come to terms with that, it'll get easier, and, you'll, and we need to stop sugarcoating this idea. The Nuremberg defense didn't work for the Nazis, so why the hell would it work for you? <laughs> I took a moment to get a jab at the end there. <laughs> I, was, I was feeling awfully fucking raging out when I wrote that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's hard too because when I when I really started getting anti-war, I felt like I couldn't say anything to veterans specifically because I wasn't a veteran. You know, it's, it's in some ways it's in, it's almost worse when you are a veteran because you're like it's like you're trying to explain to people how like hey this we're fucking killing people, dude. <laughs> right. Yeah, especially when you have like something like I had where it's not necessarily it's not like we're killing people, but you can you can draw the fucking the line to like where you're at to where people are being killed. So, you know, I don't know. Right. And I mean, Kyle Anzalone is really good on this topic and I, I wish that I could like, uh, Kyle's not, you know, he wasn't in the military. I, I think maybe some of his family members were, but, um, he blames, he blames cops a lot more because, at least, like, if you're in the military, at least you got into it mostly with, with like, good intentions of, like, protecting liberty and protecting, you know, the country and things like that. You just, there's no way that you could know before you get in the military what it's really about. But that's, like, a bunch of virgins talking about sex. You know, you yeah. just have no idea. Yeah, for me, I know it was very much this idea of, like, I went to college, I fucked up college, and I joined the military. Like for me, it was like in my head, in my very simplistic young head, it was like I go the intellectual route, the scholar route, or I go the warrior route. Like I'm going to – and it wasn't in this like, you know, I thought of it in any bad way. I just seriously thought of it as simple as I was going to go protect my tribe. I was going to protect my nation. I was going to – and I legit like – like luckily I didn't end up getting a combat role. I actually failed out of like a semi-special forces type thing. 
Um, but fucking like I legit was like, I'm gonna go fucking kill people and like in in a in a kind of fucking in a upstanding type way, in the same way that like if someone came to my house, this may sound terrible to say, I would have absolutely no fucking problem in violently murdering someone that tried to fucking fuck with me or my family. If anything, I could probably borderline say I might get some joy out of it. But now if it's an innocent individual, I would feel horrible about it. And it may sound like I feel like it's like kind of awful to say that, that I would get joy out of causing violence. But if it's in a righteous manner, I don't know. Maybe it's just the masculine side of me. Like, if anything, it would be like I'm doing my duty. Like, this is like evolutionarily like is what I'm destined to do. So it's like me and Shane Hayes a lot of episode about, uh, about this, about how like the culture of the military and how it like perverts because it perverts a natural instinct of, of men of how like we're protectors. Like I, I was very much like in sports and working out everything. Like I very much fighting wrestling. So for me, that was like a being a warrior. That was a natural progression. It was like the same thing kind of goes with cops even, but even then I kind of recognized I was fucking gay. <laughs> Being a cop is just fucking lame. Like, it's super easy to figure out. Like, look at this fucking dork, like, busting me for fucking weed. <laughs> but, like, something about joining the military is like, I'm going to go kill people who are who would kill me. And I'm protecting my nation. There's something in, in a weird way, like, valiant about it, in a sense, if you don't overthink it. But once the veil is lifted, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, no, for real. I, I, I think there's. There's nothing more natural about it, but uh, as soon as I say that, you know, I think about how libertarians will say that, you know, war, widespread war on the on the scale that we've seen it would not exist without the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like in one sense, I think the the man is a protector warrior is natural, but you're right that gets perverted uh, because I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about, I guess, human, human, um, the human condition to know, like, do you, in the absence of the states I, of a state, right, there would be predatory banditry, right? Some people would be compelled to go out and rape and pillage. Yeah. Well, that's why I was kind of thinking when you said that there, I don't think so this is a, was a conquered idea. It's also in other things that like, there, there kind of is no such thing as the absence of the state. It's not going to, go away and this kind of goes into like a lark and rose thing where the state is simply the illusion of authority and like and there's always gonna be small bands of people that think like i can do this you know or whatever so there is always going to be i mean even in a quote-unquote absence of the state there would still be you know violent entities that you would need to have watchdogs which would be something akin to cops or military but it's different when you're defending your group, your tribe or whatever, and you're preventing violence than going out and looking for it and causing violence, you know? So, um, I think this is a Larkin Rose quote is that um, in anarchy, yes, there's a possibility that some people might do bad things, but with a state, it's a guarantee that some people will do bad things. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm reading Ethics of Liberty and I like, kind of go into like the, the the two ways of production. Like, so in a sense, like the state is the political method of production, which is, you know, in, in using violence. So, yes, if you were able to get rid of the state, the violence would go away in a sense. But at the same time, it's kind of like a the same thing. So they're, they're almost one and the same in a sense, if you boil it down. So it's like, yes, if we got rid of bad things, there wouldn't be bad things. You're like, duh. 
<laughs> like, yeah. So it is this. At the end of the day, we do need to have things that defend us from that in a, in a, in a quote-unquote free society. But right now, those things that we think are what protect us from it are it. So, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you have anything else. Otherwise, we're, we're basically getting near the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think we've gotten through a whole bunch of stuff today. Uh, but this is the basics, man. And, and I think that's what you need because in a way, you know, we're kind of reliving our own red pills when we first discovered this information through, you, you always need a refresher and it reminds you about why you're on the path that you're on in those base truths. Because, you know, admittedly, you and I, we've we've gone down our, our niche specializations, um, but it's a good nostalgia fest to go back to, to the basics. Yeah. All right, last last paragraph. Speaking of Nuremberg, the la the next topic covered is democide. We cover how the governments are more of a risk to its citizenry than than other nations are. Judging by the last century, you're six times more likely to be murdered by your own government than by another. And people think anarchists are the crazy ones. And this really ties in well to our last point of like I brought up how you know we we you know we have we think we need we're gonna need to have things that protect us from violence. Or the state, which are basically one and the same, you know, but we don't see it that way. But at the end of the day, it really those are the those are it. The things that we are expecting to protect us from it are it, and that it is what kills us more likely than other entities that we're worried about. You know, it, it, it it's crazy. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. This is a, this was a good point. I thought it was a perfect spot to wrap up this segment. Because, yeah, it kind of, like, brings it back full circle of how, like, this is – the whole government is – is or state is around to – as an idea to protect us. But really, they are the worst offender. It's like it's like kind of, you know, where you're in a domestic abuse is kind of essentially where it's like you're, you know – I don't know. I guess maybe that's the best example. But it's kind of like the thing that you think you need or love is the thing that's fucking hurting you the most, you know? So, and actually, it's a perfect fucking uh, example because it's like it's what you're dependent on too. Like, if you're a housewife – that's fucking gets beat by your husband. It's kind of very much the same thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Because you, yeah, I mean, it might be that you would have a much better life outside, but the unknown is scary. Mm -hmm. So in order to not take that risk, you stay in with the status quo because that's known. At least you know what that's going to yield. But um, I guess the one big argument that brought me from minarchism to anarchism was the oxymoron of okay so in order to have a state like the only role of the state is to protect our liberty but by definition the only way to have a state is to take away liberty it just it's not a circle that i could square yeah for me the big thing was like uh, i don't remember it was in this or we were in the pre uh before we recorded but i it was an anime state that did it for me but it very much in a artistic way broke down and how incentives and like essentially work and how it was just essentially destined to fall apart essentially so it's like i mean a lot of people especially minarchists will bring this back to like well you know the whole idea of the founders had that you had to keep having revolution and it's like well then now you're just stuck in this stupid fucking vicious cycle and that obviously didn't work out now did it so, right like, i don't know i mean in a sense you're kind of sort of right i guess and that if we had constant revolutions starting over it would be 
maybe preferable, but you're just in a shitty loop. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Uh, with that, we're kind of at a good spot, I think. Uh, you want to go ahead and drop your plugs? Yeah, man. So you can find me at libertyweekly.net. Uh, you can also find me at the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org forward slash Patrick. Uh, you can find me there alongside Scott Horton, Keith Knight, Kyle Anzalone, and uh, Tommy Salmons, and Pete Quinones. Did I say Pete? I Anyways. I <laughs> no, okay, yes, Pete Quinones, Free Man Beyond the Wall. So uh, really appreciate it. Find me primarily, watch me on Odyssey at odyssey.com. Uh, and donate LBC to the channel, to cryptocurrency. It's my preferred way of support these days. So thanks for uh, having me on, Jose. I was good to talk. It's always a fucking treat. And uh, Scotty, if you're watching, I'm always open for a fucking job. (laughs) 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 Uh, I'm just kidding. Sort of, not really, unless, unless you're about it. But <laughs> uh, for me, No Way Jose YouTube channel. I'm also anywhere audio podcasts are at. I'm also in the Liberty Movement YouTube and BitChute. This won't be going on it because we clearly went political in the Liberty Movement's channels specifically for non-political cultural topics that are Liberty-related. Uh, the Liberty Movement's on Facebook and MeWe. You can hit me up at thelibertymovementglobal at gmail.com. Like I said earlier, give me fucking money. Patreon.com says so NoWayJose2020 or at endthefed.app with crypto for NoWayJose2020. Uh, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. I'm really excited to keep going with this bit or this uh, fucking this series we're doing. Um, so I'm looking forward to keep an eye out for the next one that Patrick will be hopefully hosting. And uh, yeah. With that, deuces.